What's up, guys? Welcome to Governor's Podcast with your hosts, Matt Chachuk and myself, Peter Fendera. Podcast where we talk about current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. How's it going, Matt? Good, man. I'm hanging out. We got, so, we got Matt Squared today. Matt Squared, yeah. There's yes. two Matts. Yes. One with a PhD, one with a BS Senate, but that's okay, right? How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing really well. Thank you guys for having me. Um, really excited to be here. Really excited to share my information with everyone listening. Uh, hopefully you guys can have a better understanding of what you can do to help yourself with back pain, neck pain, and we'll just go into a bunch of topics. Exactly. So today we'd like to welcome Matt, Dr. Matt. He attended the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, graduating with a degree in molecular cellular biology. His time there helped him develop great respect for research with eventually led him to practicing evidence-based research. After that, right... You completed yes. your doctorate degree at the National University of Health Sciences, mm-hmm. and Dr. Matt attended postgraduate seminars on nutrition, biomechanics, rehab, and manual therapy. Yep. So he specializes at treating musculoskeletal conditions as that developed through stemming from various scopes of medicine to provide efficient care for his patients. He believes that the best results come from a joint venture, doctor and the patient working together with a transparent flow of information. His goal is simple, to provide excellent care for his patients and to impact their lives to achieve optimal health. Exactly that. Yeah, so uh, just going a little bit more background about myself, um, always knew I wanted to be in healthcare in some sort of field. Initially, I actually really liked interventional radiology. So interventional radiology is microsurgeries that you would perform under fluoroscopy, so under different image guidance. Um, And then as I went through it, uh, I just started to see a lot of um, how I can do things more conservatively. And uh, so a little bit about after I graduated, uh, I worked in a pain management group for quite some times and and I I ran the Lakeview Clinic up there. And so I was very, I appreciated my time there because I got to work with nurse practitioners. I got to work with anesthesiologists, physiatrists, uh, and we saw a lot of different cases, which I was able to hone my craft. So, you know, when you first get out of school, you're kind of, um, you're filled with a lot of passion for what you do and you, you want to know and you want to apply what you learn. And it actually is very beneficial when you get into that type of setting to work because then you actually are able to apply things. And sometimes theoretically versus practically doesn't always coincide. So, um, uh, I actually genuinely love what I do. I like helping my patients and we were kind of talking about these things off screen beforehand, but yeah, I don't believe that, uh, it's just, you go to a doctor and they fix you. I really do believe that a person has to take responsibility for their own health because it, you just won't get the results that the patient's looking for. And you as a physician is also looking for. Yeah, and then you left the Lakeview Clinic, right? You used to start your own clinic? Where yeah, you yeah. So uh, I currently opened a clinic in Palos Hills. It's a southwest suburb of Chicago. Um, it's about a year and a half old now, this clinic. And uh, I couldn't be happier. I get to treat people the way I want to treat them. Um, it's a really good atmosphere. You come in. I explain everything. I take time with my patients. Um, but, yeah, we're located in Palos Hills, in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. Is there like a social media page um, that you have that they could check uh, out? Yeah, well? so if you just 
type in avail, A-V-A-I-L, chiropractor.com. Uh, everything will come up. There's a website, and all the information will be there for you guys. So when I think of like a chiropractor, I think mainly of like the spine. Like I go in, they take an x-ray, they tell me there's like a pressure on the yeah. disc, or if I have scoliosis, and it kind of yeah. work from there. But there's definitely something more that that entails, right? So can you like explain yeah, fully? Yeah, yeah, so 100%. So a lot of times, you know, the first question you get asked, uh, chiropractor, oh, can you crack my back? Yes, that's a tool that we use, but, um, and it's a service industry, so a lot of people do different things, but primarily in my practice, I treat a lot of pain. So I treat a lot of people that have uh, disc-related injuries or someone, I do a little bit of orthopedics. So, you know, I've diagnosed uh, rotator cuff tears and we've sent out for imaging and we've gotten them to the appropriate care. So I am really well-versed in orthopedics, um, but primarily my specific niche, I would say, would be neck and low back pain and everything that goes with that. So uh, someone will come in and that's the big part of my job personally is I have to be a really good diagnostician. So I have to figure out what is going on because once you understand what's actually happening with someone, then you can tailor a program to get them better, right? Because even though one person may have neck pain and another person may have neck pain, they can be completely two etiologies. So you won't really understand what is actually happening until you do a proper evaluation and you have them go through orthopedic tests and range of motion. And after that, you get into the treatment plan. And, um, you know, patient compliance is one thing as well. You always want to explain to people because if they can't understand it, then they won't be able to help themselves, right? So uh, communication is huge uh, in every field, I think. But I definitely stress that a lot, and I want people to ask questions. I want them to understand why they need to be doing something because that also helps with patient compliance. Because if you just tell someone, do this, see me in three weeks, maybe they'll do it, maybe they won't. But if you actually explain to them, do you know why this is important for you? Uh, do you know why this will help you? You will have much, much better response, and that's the ultimate goal, right? The ultimate goal is to help your patient and then also teach them for the future. So, um, yeah, I, I generally like to help my patients. Yeah. When it comes to like um, achieving your well-being, I know patient compliance is probably the, one of the biggest risk factors, right? But is there anything else that stops people that you've noticed that affects their well-being or stops them from achieving their optimal like living conditions? Yeah. So, uh, realistically, it's hard. Right. So one of the main things is self-discipline. And um, like I always try to stress this as well is the best thing you can do for everyone around you is to build yourself up individually as much as you can, because you're automatically going to help all the people around you. So a lot of people, uh, they like to kind of play the blame game and, oh, I can't do this because of this, you know, kind of looking for easy outs. Victim mentality. Yeah. So I definitely always stress, hey, you're not doing this for me, right? You're doing this for yourself. So once you kind of get over that hump and then you can stay disciplined yeah. because it's hard work. Let's just take simple dieting, right? Uh, so people who struggle with weight gain, uh, here's a disclaimer. There's no magic pill. <laughs> if someone's trying to sell you something, sorry, it's probably not going to be that great. Um, dieting is huge, right? Um, if you can consume the right foods, it actually has a big effect in musculoskeletal pain as well because... Uh, let's say the standard American diet is a lot of processed foods, a lot of added sugars. 
And so you walk around, we call them the walking wounded because they don't even know what it feels like to feel good. They've been in such a long loop of uh, eating like crap and not taking care of themselves that they've just conditioned themselves to be... They're accustomed to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's insane when you see the change and you can see it in their eyes. You can see them open up and uh, they're like, wow, you know, this is what it means to feel good. They finally feel it, but it's hard work. Uh, I tell that right from the beginning, and every patient I have this conversation with, I tell them, you know, you have to take responsibility for your own health. It really stems down to that one point. And everyone's going to be a little different, you know. We're not saying you have to do X, Y, and Z, um, because everyone is different. It's case by case. Um, so I guess that's my viewpoint on that topic. Yeah, we touched about what I'm going to ask you a little bit prior to, to us going live. But we talked a little about a little bit about like weightlifting and weightlifters how yeah. they they suffer and you basically said that it's because they take on more strain than their joints or their bodies used to taking on. Yes. But what about like the volume exercises like the repetitive motions? Do they do a little more damage too? Yes. So my my rule for all of strength training and fitness in general would be quality over quantity, uh, unless you have specific program tailored to. So, for example, I have no issue when you are working in the right ranges of motion and you're doing, let's say, um, uh, if you're, okay, let's say you just want to deadlift, right? And you want to do maybe 20 repetitions of a deadlift in a row instead of, you know, everyone kind of sticks to the 10, 10, 10. Um, there's no issue with that, but I would definitely not increase in weight. So minimize your risk, right? Realistically, take the bar. And sure, you can knock out 50 in a row, right? You're minimizing your risk, but also you have to be disciplined and stay in tune. So specifically with uh, deadlifting, for example, I see this all the time. The, the motion doesn't stop when you lift it up. It's literally when you put it all the way back down and you let go and then you come back up. That's when you're done with your set or your rep, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times what I see is before you lift, you want to prime, right? You want to make sure that you have a nice... Um, neutral back, everything's primed, your core is engaged, and then you go through your lift, you come back up, cool, I got the rep done, that's what a lot of people think, then they get, set it back down, they collapse in their lumbar spine, back strain, mm. right, so uh, it's also the mentality you have to approach something where you have to understand when you are actually done with your repetition uh, to minimize risk, right, so in biomechanics what we talk about a lot is what you do every day in your life has an effect very much so on your spinal health, on your joint health. Um, so kind of what we were talking about before, right? A simple sitting to standing. Uh, I'll just go over it again for everyone listening. Uh, everyone sits and stands a million times a day, right? If you continuously are doing it incorrectly or not optimally, you're creating micro trauma over time in your low back. So uh, once again, what we were talking about before, you know, over 60% of people are going to experience some kind of low back pain in their lifetime. And a lot of times it's because of just very small, minute things that you're doing in your daily life. So if you think about it, you have an operating system in your brain, right? You want to run the most optimal operating system you can. And that, that translates as well to how you move. So, um, yeah, I always recommend just having someone teach you because... Specifically for weight trainers, we have the internet, there's a million different videos and there's a bunch of people doing crazy things, but they don't always get into the 
maybe they won't tell you what they're exactly doing or experiencing themselves because they're high-level athletes, right? They've, they've put in time to get to a certain point, and then you'll have someone who's just starting out, and they see someone do this crazy movement, and they try to replicate that, and then they get hurt. So my advice to a lot of people is start off easy, you know, get your fundamentals down, learn how to move properly. If you don't know how, maybe watch a couple of videos. The information's out there for sure, but also learn to be a critical thinker. Don't just look at a video and, you know, trust this person with yeah. your whole heart. Maybe look at a couple of things, look at a couple of different viewpoints and then figure out what's best. Can you please describe a little bit about what biomechanics is for those people that are not aware of it? Yeah. And then what do you find like most common? What's the most problematic area of the body that you see patients coming into? Okay. Um, so biomechanics, simply put, is just movement of life, right? So that entails everything from strictly picking something up off the ground to if you get into the fitness industries, how you're pressing, how you're pulling. Um, it basically has to deal with how everyone in the world moves right? Um, and what I see a lot, primarily in my practice, is a lot of low back pain and neck pain patients. And they stem from various conditions. Some people have traumatic events, right? They've been in car accidents or they've had some kind of slip, trip, or fall. Uh, other people, non-contact injuries, non-traumatic injuries, and it's kind of what we're talking about. Uh, you know, they, they'll come in and they'll let me know, I wasn't doing anything. You know, I don't know why my back is hurting. And then we kind of dive deeper and I start asking them, you know, I'll put them through some functional screens and I'll have them do a squat. I'll have them do a lunge. I'll have them go to pick something up off the ground. And then I see, ooh, do you, do you understand what you're doing here? So when you actually are able to localize the problem, then once again, it's not an instant fix because they have to themselves try to actively fix and optimize that movement pattern uh, but primarily what I see a lot of times is um, people who are in the different trades that work a lot with their bodies and they they are physically demanding jobs right and yeah they they injure themselves some of them are overuse injuries if you're doing a certain motion incorrectly over time I don't care who you are your body's going to give out eventually right so we talk to them and we explain exactly what they should do better. And as you go from there, you start to see results. But it is wholeheartedly in the hands of the patient, right? You can't force anyone to do anything. You can only give them the information and then hope that they take it and run with it. And they also have to kind of change their programming, which yes. is the way that they're you know, doing that actual movement, right? That's, that's the problem. Yes. So... If I, heard, if I hear the word chiropractor, I think of bones right away, right? Yes. But it's also muscular movement and everything related. 100%. Have you seen a specific body part that's very weak in our current society maybe? And I'm generalizing, yeah, yeah. right? That's causing an issue with posture. Okay, so um, I wouldn't say that our bodies are pretty robust. Um, we've developed pretty yeah. good bodies over time. Uh, what I would say is our culture and maybe the things that we do on a daily basis now are more of the culprits than necessarily us having a weak weak position right like technology like using yourself for more like exactly computer, so like that. Um, if you look at back in the day people were more likely to move right people rode bicycles like not to say that we don't do that anymore but 
now we've kind of shifted and we are much more technologically advanced, which is awesome, right? You have a supercomputer at your pocket and you can figure out anything. But yeah, like uh, we create bad habits with these certain things, right? Or um, uh, if you think about the average desk worker, uh, maybe they get some ergonomic training and they learn to sit properly and they learn to adjust their desk height and things like that. But a lot of times they're, you know, yeah. like this forever and not, never taking breaks properly. Um, so it's kind of societal conditioning. I think that a lot of times is the problem because as far as the human body, we're really resilient creatures and we're, we actually do have pretty robust bodies. Um, so I, I don't really... Like everything, everyone comes with the same hardware, right? But then the software, which is the programming of how you work, may change. So certain people move much better than others. And that results in them having less musculoskeletal pain. Other people, unfortunately, have accidents, right? Like what I call a true accident is you just have unforeseen events and you were in a major slip or you, you had a major car accident or something like that. Uh, but a lot of times I, f I feel that it's people just creating micro trauma over time, and then eventually their body goes, "Sorry, bud, can't handle this anymore," and then you have an injury, right? Okay. Between like, like, so I'm 26, yeah, I'm 26. So like, for our age group, like people that are between like 20 and 30, what are some of the problems that you see with like our posture or like, like just our injuries or anything? Yeah, yeah. Like that? So uh, we have a varied. So a lot of times it's that young gung-ho mentality mm -hmm. and that's where I see the injuries come in because uh, I'm invincible, right? Yeah. Everyone's like, I'm young, I'm invincible, I can do whatever I want. And sure, your body is much better, I would say, at healing. So you know, you'll tweak something, you don't really feel it, two, three days, you're good. But what's actually happening is you're conditioning your body to move in a certain way, which in the future can cause more problems. Um, so for example, in my practice, that specific age cohort, um, a lot of the injuries that I see are mainly either work-related where they just, you know, I'm, I'm working fast because I'm young, you know, I want to make myself. And I always tell people, listen, no one is going to take care of yourself as much as you can. So don't, uh, you know, I would never condone someone wrecking their body for a corporation, you know. Because realistically, that corporation probably doesn't care about you that much. They, they'll drop you the second you get injured. So uh, in that regard, that's my personal viewpoint. And I still think you should fulfill your job and do the best you can at it. But you should do it in a safe manner, right? And a lot of corporations are good at giving you work training and work hardening. Um, but that is one thing to... That's what I specifically see in that age group. Because most of the time, you know, 20 to 30-year-old... You know, they'll, they'll bum an ankle or they'll injure themselves during some kind of sporting activity. But it's a few days, they recover, no problem. Um, it's more so if you can catch early. So a lot of times when they do come in, I will catch the things that they're doing incorrectly and try to rectify that and have them move on so that for the rest of their lives, they can avoid having higher risk of injury. Mm -hmm. uh, and that just entails... Like, you've been taught this, right? Like, how to pick things up. Are you going to just bend in your back and lift up, straight up, twisting? No, you want to do a baby squat or you want to get into a lunge and have a neutral back and stabilize. So we've been taught these things. It's just, are you going to apply them, you know? Uh, and then, like, long road trips, for example, if you're commuting a lot, same thing. When you're young, you can get away with a lot, but as you get older, 
if you're sitting, you know, super low in your seat and you have lumbar flexion the whole time and then you're going over the roads and Chicago roads have potholes every two seconds and you're hitting bumps, like that's micro trauma over time as well, you know. So much better thing is scoot all the way back in your seat, sit nice and tall. And then the big trick is you adjust your mirrors to that good position. So it's a constant reinforcement. The second you slouch, you look at your mirrors, you can't see, you're going to sit back up nice and tall. Mm -hmm. So it's little tips and tricks that you're just trying to reinforce a better movement pattern always. And the more that you can do that, it just becomes habit. And once that becomes habit, your risk of injury goes way down. And then also, you're just going to be moving the way that you meant to be moving. right? It kind of sucks because no one gives you like a manual for your body and says, hey, this is how you should do things. right? We kind of just learn and um, we go from there. So, like, for example, if I were to come into your clinic and say, hey, Matt, I was deadlifting or, hey, Dr. Matt, I was lifting a patient and I hurt my back, like, yeah. how would you evaluate me if it's, like, a spinal problem? Is it, like, a, mm-hmm. a compressed disc? Is it a muscular issue? How would you kind of figure yeah. that out? So, so the rundown would be, first, you get so much information from just listening to your patient, mm-hmm. right? You will never know what they're experiencing, but so it's a, it's a balance between understanding how to sift through information that may not pertain to the case because people will tell you wild things sometimes and you're like yeah that might not be that really um so that's when you ask the right questions so i always start off with having a conversation with my patient and letting them just kind of tell me everything and then we start to funnel right so then i'll okay rule out uh the first thing you always have to ask yourself is should this person even be in my clinic right if you're coming in and you're having some type of heart palpitations or something like that, it's not what I do, right? I'm a musculoskeletal specialist. So that's the first question I always ask myself. It's like, can I even help this person? Because if I can't help them, I will always try to get them and direct them to the right person that can. Um, so I think that's very important from the get-go. And then after that, uh, an evaluation would occur. So we've, we've had a conversation. I'm kinda, I have some things in my mind that I think could be the problem. And then we actually test, right? So we do various orthopedic exams. Um, there's various uh, exams that are specific to low back pain or disc pain that I'll put you through. Uh, I'll do a complete physical eval. So we'll check your muscle strength. We'll check your range of motion. We'll check your sensation, right? So there's a lot of things. Uh, that's like my big thing with MRIs. Everyone's like, oh, get an MRI, get an MRI. It's like, I can get a lot of information by just doing a really good exam, right? That's good, yeah. So, and, and the other thing, too, is we're not static beings, right? An, an MRI is a snapshot in time, but that structure is completely different when you're moving, right? So, it, it's a good piece of information, but it's, it's just another tool. Like, that's what I would explain to people because everyone's like, oh, this is the gold standard and this is the gold standard. Yeah, you get a lot of information, but you're not treating an image. You're treating a patient, mm-hmm. right? So... Uh, that's my little side note about MRIs anyway. Um, but yeah, so we would do a full eval, and then I would have a working diagnosis, right? And I'm human too, so sometimes my working diagnosis may not always be correct, but that's why we reevaluate, and we there's a process to this, right? Most of the time, I've seen a certain type of case, and everything falls in line, and we understand this is what's going on. Uh, but yeah, there, there have been times where you know, you're working with a working diagnosis and you just don't see what should be happening in a certain timeline. So then you kind of reevaluate, take another look. Uh, and a lot of times too, it's um, the patient 
because sometimes patients as well won't tell you everything, right? It's just kind of how it happens. So you have to, I remember asking this patient a couple of times over, like, are you sure nothing ever happened in your past? Like no major slips, trips, or falls? No, 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 everything's fine, everything's fine. Because the reality is, even if you had something quite a long time ago, it can still have value. It's a valuable piece of information now, right? Because what I always explain to people is, if you've sustained some type of injury in your past, and you got to rehab properly. Like, I never tell someone that, oh, you're just going to be back how you were. That's not really how it goes. You've injured a type of tissue, and, you know, maybe the insertions are a little bit different, or maybe you have some scar tissue. So, uh, yeah, we can get you back to pretty close to 100, but I never like to claim that I'll get you back to 100%. You yeah, because you know how much internal damage there is, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I never want to make these claims. I'm very straightforward and transparent with my patients, and I think that's the best way because there are certain times where, for example, let's take a low back case, and you do have a disc injury, and uh, on top of that, you're aging, and you have... Um, narrowing of that entire central canal and you're having a little bit of numbness and tingling you know down your leg that may persist at a certain level for you know who knows how long because you do have damage to that area and sometimes that damage is irreversible right so you can't put the cat back in the hat you know it's right. like Spinal stenosis, right? Am I right on that? Yeah, yeah. Cool. I, I didn't want to use... The, yeah, yeah. No, man. You use, it's, a, it's a nursing podcast, right, in a way. I so got hopefully you. hopefully most people understand. I'm wondering, so when it comes to medicine, we like for things to be holistic, right? Yes. Do you think that chiropractic has like evolved throughout the last couple of decades where it's more involved in a multidisciplinary type of care Definitely. in America? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and once again, I always... I don't like to speak for an entire profession. I really do think that no matter what you do, it's still individualized. It's a service industry, right? Just how you can have really good physicians in uh, the allopathic world, so medical doctors, uh, DOs, everything. Same thing with chiropractors. There's going to be people who really have a certain type of way of doing things. So, for example, I'm very evidence-based, right? Uh, there are certain schools in chiropractic where they are more into... Um, philosophy and you know all they want to do is adjust and that's it I just look at adjusting as a tool it's another tool that will help you get to a point where you should be uh, but it's not the end-all be-all right um, so in that regard I do think that a lot of chiropractors are much more multidisciplinary now like I said I started off in that setting so I worked in a pain management group and yeah I dealt with the allopathic side every day um, and there's a lot of chiros who are still stuck in their ways. And, you know, all they want to do is just adjust you and that's about it. And that's okay, you know, because, yes, it still helps. It'll still mobilize joints. Um, but my problem goes in where if someone is trying to diagnose something and they're just doing it improperly, right? Like, I would never try to be an oncologist, right? That's not my profession. So I would never try to treat someone's cancer right um, and the same way I think when you're really good at your scope like I know I'm very very good at musculoskeletal conditions right I can treat anything um, so that's where I'm going to stick to that's where I'm very comfortable and I will go up against anyone else in that profession right and I stand true behind what I tell my patients 
and I've seen the data and I've seen the evidence. So I'm really well versed in that. Um, sorry, I can't completely segue no, off. I was gonna say, but Dr. Matt, I'm waking up three times a day at night and I keep having, I can't make a full stream. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that goes, you have like the yeah. inflamed prostate, whatever. Yes, yes, prostate. I was gonna actually ask about like um, evidence-based practice. Mm -hmm. What have you noticed recently or during your research that you're like, you know what, maybe I should change my ways or this is an old way because it happens in nursing where yeah. we're just like, okay, we're not going to do a central line dressing this way because mm -hmm. it's going to lead to more uh, collapses, things yeah. like that. Yeah, so um, what I've definitely found over time is kind of fine-tuning. So the way that I would approach and see what real issues are for people. So for example, I deal primarily with mechanics, right? So how people are moving. So in that regard, we don't have too much change because structurally you are how you are right? There isn't much variation. Uh, sometimes you'll have outliers where people, you know, can have hip dysplasia and things like that. Those are more genetic conditions. But for the most part, I would say it's more trying to understand how to better convey the information to people so that they can take it upon themselves to help themselves. Um, and then as far as evidence-based medicine is concerned, it's kind of that you know, how valid are certain tools that we use. I think that's more of the thing in my field. So for example, uh, like what I was talking about with the MRIs, right? Um, do I think everyone needs an MRI? No. Do I think everyone needs an x-ray? No. Um, I can treat you because you're a dynamic being, right? If you have a red flag where you've had some type of slip, trip, fall, or trauma, yeah, you should get that image so that we can know what's going on. But if you're just coming in and I don't see any red flags, no, I don't think everyone should get x-rayed. Um, there's certain tools that are more specific to, um, to help you get better information. And I think that's where more of the evidence-based medicine comes in, is really understanding the utility of certain tools that we have and are they valid. So in that regard, um, that's what I really like. And then another thing, so this is technically out of my scope. I can't do any type of regenerative medicine, but I'm very, very interested in regenerative medicine. So Like stem cells? Yes. So basically, uh, right now, the way allopaths can work, uh, so for certain very specific diagnoses, they're able to inject stem cells for you know knees and things like that. So in that regard... I'm very interested in that. I really do think that will be the future of medicine and orthopedics specifically because we don't know everything yet. So that's 100%. We don't really know how much to inject, the sites, things like that. Uh, they're kind of testing these things right now, but we are seeing some nice data come out of there. So, you know, someone who has, let's say, a completely bummed knee and they have very little cartilage, they have an injection. Um, over time, they do see a little bit more padding, right? Um, I, I don't want to say that like things grow or anything like that. Um, from my understanding of it, it's you have much more cells that come to the area and it's like more workers to help. But it's not necessarily that, you know, these things are growing and you're like growing new not tissues intense, or anything. Yeah. 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 Do you guys do like the steroid injections at all? So we did at the pain management clinic. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm my viewpoint on that is I don't think people should be consuming corticosteroids as much as they are long term wise. Right? Yeah. 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 So, um, 
I don't like suffering, right? So if you are in a major accident, there's no point for you to suffer. So yes, you should be on some type of pain management, but it should be very short lived. That's that was the point of pain management. There are there are certain cases where people are just in incredible pain because there are some uh, very different circumstances. They're dealing with much harder problems, and that's kind of the only way they can get by. But for the majority of people, like yeah, you hurt yourself. It's gonna suck for a week or two. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you can be on some pain meds then. But after that, I'm sorry, pain is also a very good indicator of how you should, like specifically in my field, I like pain because it'll, it'll teach people how to move. It's the best thing that I can see. So when someone comes into the clinic and like I see them perfectly with a straight back <laughs> sitting up and nice and tall, you know, I was like, ah, pain I see has taught you, you know. <laughs> so in that regard, I, I think pain is useful but it should be managed, right? It's kind of that Goldilocks principle. I don't want unnecessary suffering, but also I don't want you just be loading up these things like candy because there is consequences to that as well. Yeah, there's a giant opioid epidemic going on. Same yes. With, same with other drugs. Uh, I know I went to a chiropractor a few years ago and he explained to me how like adjusting works and what yeah. it does. But to be honest, I completely forgot what he told me. Okay. So I'm curious if you guys explain it to me. Is it like some kind of spinal decompression going on or what, what do you yeah, do when so, you adjust? It's a so nice crack. It always feels so good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, a real manipulation will basically, so when we palpate the spine and we look through everything, we're looking for segments that aren't moving as well as they should. So basically at a very simplistic level, we're just making those vertebrae move that aren't moving well. And what, you know, the, everyone hears the cracks and the pops, that's just gas being released from the joint space. Uh, we technically don't really care about that. We're looking more for the movement. So, Good question. Did you ever have somebody fart while you're adjusting them? Um, I have, yes. Okay, okay. I was just yes, curious because yes. I know one time I was going to adjust a few years ago and I, I, I farted and I was wondering it's a yeah, common yeah, thing yeah, and yeah. I couldn't hold it or anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's normal because sometimes we have to put you in positions where, yeah, you're going to compress the belly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it happens. Um, but yeah, it's, you just have a laugh about it and you move on, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, but yeah, we, at a fundamental level, it's just making a joint move that isn't moving well. And so that's why, you know, people are like, oh, I adjust myself all the time. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's okay. You're just making joints move that already move well, pretty much. Um, but sometimes there's positions that you can do. So certain exercises that we tell people to do are really good mobility exercises for the thoracic spine, for example. So like a lot of times... People just in, in general are very closed, right? So if they're sitting at a desk space, they're very hunched over and they have uh, compression of their pec as well because they're in this kind of situation. So a very nice, easy exercise is just Brugger's. It's uh, basically you elongate your spine, so pretend like someone's pulling you from the top of your head. You throw your arms straight back, point your thumbs back, and it'll just open up everything. Yeah, sorry. It's, oh, you do yeah. your thing, man. I'm sure it felt good right now. Oh, yeah. it's So I even do this just at my desk if I'm in and out of seeing patients. Um, it's a really nice postural break. And that's that's the biggest piece of advice I can give to everyone listening. If you have a job or you're in a very... Uh, like, for example, you're just at a desk for hours on end. You have to break that up. You have to get up. You have to move, uh, whether it's just to get a drink of water or honestly just stand up, move out a little bit, and then come back to your work. Uh, because, like I said, we are dynamic beings. I don't care who you are. If you're sitting for eight hours a day, you're probably going to have some kind of low back pain, you know? Yeah. I was wondering, so with working out and just having a busy life, do you recommend any, like, utensils to help with, like, cease? 
you know, spine health or mobility, whether it's um, mm-hmm. one of those like gun things that you kind of press or whether it's um, foam roller. a foam roller. Yep. I know yoga is probably up there and stretching. Oh, well. yoga is awesome. So okay. I'll tell you guys a story. So when I was doing jujitsu, um, we had at the same gym, a yoga instructor come in once a week. And in the beginning, you know, I was kind of the same, like, ah, yoga, what's yoga, For you know? girls, you know? Yeah, yeah, so I was the same way. And now, um, I tell everyone they should be doing yoga. I never felt better. Um, it helped me with my jujitsu game. But yeah, it's sustained positions. And basically, uh, as you're in these certain positions, you're, you're moving your joints. And you're also, so your whole goal also, when you're dealing with soft tissue, so muscles, ligaments, tendons, is they should slide and glide really nicely right so when you have kind of like a bummed hamstring or something like that that's when foam rolling would come in and soft tissue management so you have to understand what you're dealing with Uh, like the majority of people specifically once again because of the culture that we're in they have very short and tight hip flexors right because we're in this position all the time so doing like a simple hip opener stretch will do wonders for you you know Um, and a lot of times once again it's that walking wounded they're just so used to it that they don't pay attention. But like the second I would just press with minimal pressure, it's like, whoa, what's that? Right? And that's when they realize, oh man, I didn't even realize that this was going on. So yeah, you have to take care of yourself. Yoga is amazing for that because if you have a really good instructor, they'll put you through the different poses and you're going to really work everything. And realistically, sometimes it's a ridiculous exercise. I've done certain classes where we picked up the pace and I was sweating like crazy, you know, so uh, all for that, uh, other other utensils or some things that I would utilize is um, the big part is your your body has everything it needs already. It's more the programming, right? So it's one thing if, uh, you know, you have a tear, then you need to get that surgically repaired, right? But it's another thing if you are completely, all the hardware is good, right? You're, you're a healthy individual. You have a little bit of uh, tension and soreness, okay, to be expected. Uh, literally, put up sticky notes at your desk that tells you to sit upright, mm-hmm. to move. Um, if you're going to do laundry, for example, understand the mechanics, right? Like the worst thing you can do, so in your low back, is when you flex in your low back, twist, and then load. So what do you do when you're at a laundromat? You usually like bend, twist, yeah. And um, so that's a big no-no in our world, right? You don't want to do those things. Uh, So the more information you know from a trusted source, and then also you should test that information, right? It may not always apply to you because maybe there is something that we don't know going on, right? So um, overall, I think it's more of a structuring thing and trying to reaffirm good movement, trying to promote, because realistically to change someone's pattern, it doesn't take a day, right? Sometimes it could take three months Mm -hmm. or six months to really ingrain a good pattern of movement. Uh, And that's the whole point of true rehab, right? So anytime you have an injury, uh, your body will compensate some way, right? You have to do what you gotta do in life. Your body's really good at compensating. True rehab, should return you to function. So how you were at one point. So a lot of times, for example, in the rehab world, uh, like let's say someone bummed a leg and they weren't walking. The second they walk, you're done with rehab, right? But are you really? 
Uh, are you moving correctly? Do you have proper glute firing if I put you through a squat? Or are your knees collapsing? Are you shearing your knees? You know, you know there's, there's a lot of things that you can break down. And so for me, for example, if I were to really give you a clean bill of health, I'm making sure that you know how to move. You know exactly what you should be doing. And we're preventing risk. So we're preventing future issues that can arise from certain faulty movement patterns. I, I like how you um, connect like self-discipline and the habits into all this because usually when we think of like habits and everything else, we're like we're applying it to different parts of life. We're applying it to you know going to the gym or eating healthy or yeah. um, I don't know, stop watching porn, whatever the case might be out there <laughs> out there in the world, right? Yeah. But we never applying it to simple posture like hey. Get your freaking um, shoulders not rounded anymore, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering, aside from posturing, mechanics, mm-hmm. habits, is there, let's go into like nutrition. I'm curious, yeah. is there a direct correlation between nutrition and like your musculoskeletal health at all? 100%. So uh, this is what we would call low level grade inflammation, right? So there are certain foods that uh, that inflammatory pathway that everybody has that gets flamed up, right? So added sugars, processed foods, um, those things, unfortunately, yeah, they taste great. Sugar is, I think, the biggest drug in the world. Everyone loves it. I'm also not gonna lie, I love candy, okay? But yes, we want to limit those things because what ends up happening is when you have that inflammatory cascade and you're constantly supplying that with fuel, yeah, you're not going to feel great. There's pain receptors and there's things that will flame up in your like your joints, right? So let's say overall uh, you have a very well-balanced diet, you're supplementing properly because that's another thing with nutrition. Unfortunately, we've moved from quality of food to quantity of food. I get it, right? We don't want people starving, but unfortunately, the quality of our food supply has gone down. Uh, and that's, you can look through that in the research as well. So I do think it is important for people to have some type of supplementation. Uh, for example, in the Midwest, you know, everyone is low. If you, if you had a vitamin D panel done, mm-hmm. the majority of the people in the Midwest would be low, right? That's a really important marker in your body. It has a lot of processes that it goes into. So um, yeah, I do think people need to supplement. Uh, what I also believe is people overeat. Just, I'm sorry, you know. It's bulking season, though. Yeah, yeah it's bulking season. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we do need to understand what our bodies actually need. Um, it's okay to be hungry, right? Like, people have this thing, like, I'm starving, I'm starving. No, you're not starving. You, get, you know, sometimes when I, when I see certain people walking around, I'm like, you have, like, three months before you're starving, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but, yeah, we, we, we don't do this to... Uh, you know, fat shame anywhere or anything like that. It's it's for your own health. Like I want you to understand what it feels like to be, um, just to feel good, right? And a lot of times, when you can't have that discipline, it's gonna affect other parts of your life as well. So I don't really like to talk specifically with like diets and fad diets. I always talk about it as like having a relationship with food, right? Because I don't know about you, but I plan on living for the next, you know, 60 years of my life. Mm -hmm. So a fad diet is 30 days or three months or whatever. What do you only plan on living three months? No, you have to create a nice relationship with your food to understand what you need from it and also to get the benefits, right? So 
we all can have cheat days. That's I'm not saying, oh, you have to eat clean for the rest of your life. No, but you should be better most days than not. That's yeah. kind of where I lay Like on when it. I th- when people say diet, like I think of like something temporary. Like exactly. I'm doing a diet for these months to lose this amount of weight. Yes. You're not going to be able to sustain it for long periods of time. If you really want to be healthy or be healthy, you got to change up your like your lifestyle. You yes. Know? If you eat a pack of Cheetos, you know, every day for, day for lunch, you know, you're probably better off cutting out the pack of Cheetos, you know, for rest for like rest of your life or maybe cutting it down to two three, three times a week instead of just doing one month of like keto or one month yeah. of, of paleo. Um, but the thing is, so I was always taught that back injuries majority of the time stem from either one, a poor core or a poor hamstrings. Is that any kind of factual? Because that's what uh, I... Would, it's an effect. It has an effect, effect okay. but I wouldn't say that those are the major driving forces. Okay. So from what I see a lot... A lot of times, it is strictly either overuse injuries, mm-hmm. um, which are you in your job, you're repetitively moving incorrectly, and eventually, yeah, things are going to give, right? Uh, the other thing I see is trauma. So you did have a major slip, trip, or fall, and you bummed your back. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I would see would be... Um, like disc, so here's the other thing with disc. Realistically, if I were to image a bunch of people, there's probably a bunch of people that have discs, but they're not symptomatic, mm-hmm. right? So it's when I look at the person, I'm treating that specific indi- individual because going back to MRI, so I'll have two people with two MRIs, right? One, let's say I'm looking at an image and this spine looks jacked up, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, oh man, before let's say I even see the patient, I'm like, this person's going to be an incredible amount of pain. They walk in, yeah, my pain's two out of ten, mm-hmm. right? Then you see another image, an MRI, and you're looking at this back, and you're like, nah, it's not too bad, you know? Yeah, we got a little bit of, uh, maybe a little bit of a disc protrusion there, but nothing's, effa- okay, they walk in, can't walk. They're bent over, hunched over, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I say that you really have to treat the patient. And as far as low back pain injuries, they can stem from a lot of different things, but the weak core subject, it is true. So I'll, I'll touch on that. So the way that core works, right? It's not just your external abs. Those are just for flexion. Mm-hmm. Your core is actually your entire abdomen. So like your transverse and your obliques. Exactly. So the way I always explain it to people is think about it like a balloon, right? And uh, actually, the way that you really stabilize your lumbar spine, so your low back, is your diaphragm, when you take a breath in, you will expand if you breathe with your diaphragm, and that creates intra-abdominal pressure, and that entire pressure pushes on the back of that spine. So that's how you stabilize. So when you breathe properly, you're actually stabilizing your low back. So, so that's, is that what you say? You breathe through your abdomen? Yeah, yeah, breathe into your belly, right? So it's diaphragmatic breathing. So one of the things that, unfortunately, through vanity, uh, people want to tuck their bellies in, and then they become chest breathers, right? These are accessory breathing muscles. So if you're going for a run and you need extra volume in your lungs, yes, you should start using your accessory breathing muscles because you're going to expand your rib cage, Mm -hmm. you're able to bring more air in. But on the regular, like if we're just sitting here and hanging out, my chest really doesn't move. I'm breathing into my belly and I'm trying to breathe into all quadrants of my belly, right? So that's that's literally a whole separate topic that we can just train diaphragmatic breathing. 
But once again, I touch on all these things, um, and I just there's a lot that people can do on their own. So I try to always enforce and give them a little push to kind of do those things. Um, but to answer your initial question, yes, it does have an effect. Hamstring length, yes, it does have an effect. That that will have more of an effect with your pelvic tilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your goal is to always be in a neutral low back position, right? But if you have super tight hamstrings, then you might have a, uh, like a posterior pelvic tilt because uh, you're tight. So you'll like, have you ever just kind of, I know it's a weird thing to think about, but kind of when you just rotate your pelvis up and down. So like shimmy one way, shimmy the other way. You see how much play you have. And you want to be in a neutral position, right? So even when you're oh. sitting, uh, like some people overanalyze this like crazy, and they're like, "Oh, am I neutral? Am I neutral?" Like y- you'll be, get it. To be me tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And be like, "I'm sending you a Snapchat. Hey, check my posture." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it does have an effect, right? So, um, I I wouldn't say that there's one thing that injures the back, because it can come from a bunch of. Different, that's why you have to be a good diagnostician, so you can find out why this person has this problem so we can fix that problem right instead of shotgun blasting with a bunch of therapies and then hoping something works like i don't really like to work that way i would much rather do a proper intake do a proper eval do the right orthopedic exam and then figure out why is this going on do you use any like um heat and cold therapies or Mm -hmm. um that therapy that's i forget what to call it but for me they put on my back and it was like shocking yeah yeah yeah. electric stim yep yep so um, I use all those things. Okay. Uh, so once again, they're all tools, right? We use tools for specific things. So for example, um, the reality is ice, it has an analgesic effect in general. It's, it has a nice cooling effect. But as far as the inflammatory cascade, usually, you know, 24 to 48 hours, you should ice things. After that, it's more of a, yeah, it has a little bit of an effect, but you can use heat, you can use ice. So it's, a lot of times it's personal preference. It's more of um how would I is say it like this? a mental thing? Like it makes you feel better? It and does. Like it does have slight physiological effects, but it's not the end all be all. Because yeah, right? I would, just I would use always, them. So I, what I learned from nutrition school is that ice is going to decrease inflammation because a lot of times if you hurt something, you it's get It's vasoconstricting. Fluid, yeah, fluid buildup. And then once that 24 hour, 48 hour phase disappears, you apply the heat. So you bring more cells, more blood to the yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when I explain what it does physiologically, it's it's strictly a vasoconstrictor and a vasodilator, right? So cold will close the blood vessels, warm will open the blood vessels, and everything that entails comes from that. Uh, but it also has like that feel-good feeling, right? So I would say that's a lot of times more the reason we would use it. It's like a placebo almost, right? Um, no, Not like it does. It, yeah, yeah, it does have an effect. A placebo mm. is basically there is no real effect; yeah. it's just psychological. Uh, so there is an actual physiological effect, and then stim. Uh, so there's, depending on what settings you put on, there's something called the gate theory of pain. They had me the highest setting. Just kind of, yeah, yeah. So the gate theory of pain is if you think about your nervous system, right? And you think about, let's just say it's a highway and there's a lot of different things traveling on this highway. Some of those things are, uh, proprioceptive input. So knowing where you are in space, some of those things are sensation. Some of those things may be pain fibers, right? flying through there and telling your brain, ow, something hurts. So with the gate theory of pain is if we go to that site of localization and we put in another input, it kind of dulls that pain signal, Mm. right? So that's the gate theory of pain. But then there's also uh, 
depending on what setting, maybe you have a spasm of that muscle. And our goal is to fatigue that muscle so it relaxes, right? So it just kind of depends on what you're trying to do with that therapy. Um, realistically, a lot of people just do like one setting and kind of go with it. It feels good. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really good. Um, and it actually does have an effect. So, for example, when I do it and I see someone has a lumbar radiculopathy, right? So they have shooting into their legs and they have a major spasm of their lumbar erectors. Uh, I will use that to calm that muscle down because we don't want you to be in a super tight position all the time, right? Because it will restrict what we actually need you to do, which is end range loading and help your back. Um, so there's, right, there's a tool for every job. And if you understand when to use it, you have good effects. Yeah. But yeah, it feels good for sure. Anything you want to chime in before you wrap it up here? We've been on air for probably over an hour. <laughs> I know. I know. We're enjoying these conversations. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I just trying to think of right now. Do you have any questions for us? Um. Yeah. I actually want to hear about what you guys have going on. I know you guys are heading out. You're gonna have a good time in Cali, huh? We are. We are. Um. We're we're finally. So the people that are probably listening or on air in the future on Friday, it's like we've been telling people since probably March that we have all this stuff happening. It's just been like. You know how like you want to like handle something, you have a goal and it's like yes. there's like these 10, 20 different extra steps and there's, you know, you go two steps up, one step forward. The journey, man. It's, the journey. It's, it's been a journey, man. And finally at the end of this month or whenever this airs, October 1st, we are finally like launching everything like our pop-up store, like this whole live stream thing that we're doing. Awesome. Um, the whole vlog, travel nursing, we signed a contract with the company. So there's a lot of cool things happening. And then we'll just reevaluate three to six months, see what works, what doesn't work, and go from there. Good did, strategy. Did, did I miss anything there? No, I think you touched it off very well. It's one of those things that we may have all these great ideas. Some merch, some merch too. It's not <laughs> the what? Oh, some merch. Yeah, like these shirts that are running right here. It's a new one. Same with this one. Yep. So like we have all these plans, all these ideas, and they sound great on paper. And like, yeah, we could, we could, we could for sure do it. Let's do it. And then once, once we start digging in and doing it, it's just like... Yeah, this is gonna take us like a few months. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the process. You know, you don't really yes. know what you're getting yourself into until you get into it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I quit my job. We're doing travel nursing, and hopefully, there's some nice weather for the next six months, Santa Monica. So, oh, you guys are gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be beautiful mm -hmm. down there. Come yeah. on, you're getting out of Chicago. Oh mm -hmm. boy. Yeah, and we have we're bringing our buddy with us, Luke. Um, we're gonna do the whole vlog. We're trying to aim for like we were thinking about doing like one party day a week you know just an invite whoever wants to come so yeah. whoever's listening if you're in santa monica era you know, <laughs> matt's got travel credits you can fly you in if anything you oh know? there you go win-win <laughs> yeah. you guys can do just a giveaway yeah, yeah free ticket to the cup of nurses uh pool party and we're gonna have a live dj yeah once Ooh, a week right there yeah. you go it'll, it'll be fun so just like like stay with those guys and then you can I'm sure you can come and visit we're gonna have yeah, a few friends i'm definitely visit. gonna fly down mm -hmm. there and see you guys yeah yeah, so can you let us know exactly where you are again, where you're located? Uh, yeah, so uh, my clinic is called Avail Chiropractic. I'm located in Palos Hills. It's a southwest suburb of Chicago. Um, like I said, availchiropractor.com gives you all the information you need down there. Uh, and also, if you want, you can always just give us a call, 708-671-8833. Cool, guys. One more question. I, I was yeah. going to ask this, but I forgot before. Um, so do you have to go through insurance or can people just come out of pocket? How does yeah, that yeah. Work? so we have self-pay rates and then I'm, I'm in network with Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO and Aetna plans. Those are the ones that I primarily take. Um, but yeah, the best way I always tell insurance is a whole nother world. Uh, a lot of people 
sometimes don't understand certain things about their insurance policies because even like let's say you have Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO, even within that realm, there's different benefits for, it's not all plans are created equal, right? So the best way is just give us a call. We check it out. We, we, let, you, we let you know everything beforehand. So there's no surprises. Yeah, that's good. There you got it, guys. So you got Dr. Matt. Now you know him. Now you could go check him out. He's a, like I said, he's a chiropractor. And now you actually know him personally on a personal level. Does a good job, at least coming for an alignment, right? Or, or adjustment. Yeah. Because if you've never gotten an adjustment before, it feels fucking amazing. <laughs> like, yes. imagine your first time going for a massage, but you feel like you're 10 pounds lighter off your feet. Like, it's almost like you're flying after you get adjusted. It's yeah. amazing. Mobilization, mm-hmm. the adjustments are really, really nice. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm sure you guys have watched a bunch of YouTube videos. Um, yeah, it feels great. You mobilize the right segments. Um, I always use minimal effective force, so there's some people that get a little gung-ho about it. Uh, I don't think that's really necessary. Our goal is to get things moving that aren't moving well. Is it just as easy to crack someone that's like, um, let's say, 250 pounds versus like someone that's like 120? Is it just as easy to crack them or no? You need a little mm, more effort? Definitely not, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so I have um, certain... Hardware. Yeah, yeah. I definitely have certain patients that, you know, their leg weighs as much as a younger, you know, lightweight female. So yeah, it's totally different. And then you really have to focus on your technique. You know, with, with, uh, lighter weight people, I can, I can muscle through certain things, mm-hmm. uh, which is not great because that creates wear and tear on me. So mm-hmm. I always try to focus on my technique as much as I can as well, okay. because, um, my positioning is important too, right? So a uh, little side note, we in the healthcare profession, I believe, are one of the highest injured professionals. We are. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, because that's the thing, right? You you, you kind of get into the motion, and then you don't even think about what you're doing sometimes because you just want to get the job done. But you really, that's one of the things I always told myself is I always try to focus on my technique because, one, it makes the experience for the patient better, too, because I'm right there. I position everything perfectly, minimal effective force, good to go. Mm. Um, and it's actually funny too. So a lot of people have certain fears really with the neck. They're always like, oh, you know, what are you going to Steven Seagal me? I'm like, okay, Hollywood over I can, here. but I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Now, you need so much force to break someone's neck. It's it's ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, I always say like, you've been watching too many Hollywood movies. Yeah. It's not, people just run up and break people's necks, you know. So it's, yeah. not, so it's not as easy as people think, right? So I can't no. walk up on someone. No. Like think about, if that was the case, everyone in a car accident would pretty much have a real bad time. That makes sense. That yeah. Makes sense. Think about people who have been major car accidents, and I'm talking about jaws of death to get them out. Damn. So since we're talking about the neck, and I have one more question. I was yeah. looking up some research before the show, and supposedly the skull weighs or the head weighs 12 pounds, mm-hmm. right? But if you have like two inches deviation forward, yes. which we usually do because Huge. of cell phones, yes. it's like triples the weight, right? It's like 36 pounds or something. Yep, yep. So there's a perfect thing that you touch on this. So uh, when I speak to my patients, I always give this analogy. I'm like, okay, so let's say I had you hold a bowling ball out here versus if I had you hold it here. Where do you think you, like, where do you think you'd be more comfortable? Where do you think you would hold it longer, right? So it's very similar with your head. That's why when you have anterior head carriage, so like when you kind of jut your head forward and you're always in this position, that's where people get a lot of neck pain and neck strain because now all these muscles here have to work a lot harder. When you're nice and neutral, your head sits on your spinal column, right? And then all you have really is just little stability muscles 
to keep yourself in place and rotating and things. But if you're literally like this, like if I just told you to keep your head like this for the next two minutes, I guarantee you'd start to get tension in your neck and it would probably suck. So um, yeah, that's definitely a huge thing. That's why we talk about posturing and uh, like a really good thing for all the people at the desk is really adjust your monitor height because your eyes are going to dictate where your body goes, right? So if you're looking down all the time or you're working on a laptop all the time, it kind of sucks because you're literally in this type of position versus if you can adjust that monitor height to where you're sitting nice and tall and you're looking straight at it, you're automatically going to be in a better position. Yeah, that's good stuff. Agreed with you. Never thought about that because Matt, Matt told me that and I was like, how is your neck going forward adding weight? But then when yeah. you see the bowling ball, I'm like, oh shit, yeah. Yeah. Naturally, you're supposed to like carry everything closer because yes. you know, that's going to... Yeah, that, that goes for shoulder health. Yeah. So like in training, for example, um, we always talk about a centrated shoulder position, right? So I'm most powerful here, actually, to press the pull. Mm-hmm. The second that I translate my shoulder forward and I'm in this position, I'm actually at more risk of injuring my shoulder and I'm also weaker, uh-huh. right? Because our shoulder joint is like a little golf ball on a golf tee surrounded by a bunch of soft tissue. So if you are centrated on that joint, everything can fire better and you're more stable, right? So this goes back to um, you need proximal stability for distal mobility. So to put that in another term, think about having like a huge cannon, right? And you put it on a rowboat in the middle of the ocean. Think you're going to get any power out of that cannon? You're going to sink the boat, right? The second you fire it. But now put that cannon on land where it's stable, right? You're going to get a lot more bang for your buck. Mm. So it's very similar with positioning of people. So I have a lot of, like I said, I have patients that work in the different trades and, you know, they're always working overhead and things like that. So I really teach them shoulder pack position and teaching them how to work from that position. So you don't really want to be reaching and like grabbing things because that's how (laughs) rotator cuff tears happen, Uh right? Yeah, true. So having a central position for that shoulder is very important. Uh, there, that's that's biomechanics. That's what I'm telling you. I love that stuff. Um, structure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how to fix a hernia by any chance? Uh, unfortunately, if you have a hernia, there's probably going to be surgical. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, man. Depending on, I mean, you know, you would have to get it diagnosed properly. Mm. Um, no, I mean, you can feel this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I'm gonna leave that for the primary cares. <laughs> Let them go. It's it's like you know you ask a question, it's not a school yeah, of practice, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, you know, they'll, they'll usually put a mesh in yeah. uh, and then kind of go from there. But, yeah, they'll suck. I, I had... I, I wouldn't have some mesh if you want to try it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll do some back, back door surgeries over there. <laughs> yeah. It'll be cheaper. Uh, yeah. 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 No, you, you got some uh, fentanyl in the back or something? I might, I might have some morphine I actually took from work somewhere mm-hmm. and laying around, you know? Yeah. <laughs> wait, till the, yeah. wait till the legal team is this up. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, hopefully, everyone listening learned something. I hope you guys apply it because I'm telling you, it will help you. Yeah, and you ain't trying to see Dr. Matt in the office. You, know, <laughs> yeah. you guys should go see him anyways, prophylactically. Yeah. Just get adjusted. It feels fucking good, dude. Yeah. I'm about to have him adjust me right now on this coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys.